welcome to episode nine of the People Still Read Books podcast. I am Will Leach. If you're listening to this on the Grierson and Leach feed, which you might be because this is the first one of these shows we have cross-posted to that feed, this is the People Still Read Books podcast. I interview authors once a week, mostly once a week, about their books to help promote my book, which comes out in May, called How Lucky from Harper. It's a novel. Not everybody I talk to wrote novels. In fact, so far, only one of them has written a novel. So eventually I will get to more novels. But we've had several excellent guests on this show, uh, including Linda Holmes, Stephen Hyden, Jessica Luther, Kevin Ethan Davidson, Spencer Hall, RJ Young, David Hill, Mark Leibovich, Claire McNear. And this week's guest, I'm delighted to have Melissa Mares. Melissa Mares, one of the founders of Vulture, by the way, kind of forgotten. But uh, she is a longtime entertainment journalist and a wonderful author and writer and has a great voodoo book that is very relevant to Grierson Leach listeners. It is All Right, All Right, All Right, The Oral History of Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. It is an awesome book. It is out today, November 17th. And I got to talk to her about it. We talk all about Days of Confused. So if you're a movie person and you love Days of Confused, this is right up your alley. If you're a regular people still read books... Uh, listener, hey, welcome back. This is a movie one, so we cross posts to Grierson Leach. But you know, for now, there are more people listening to Grierson Leach. You're wondering, where's Grierson? Grierson's not on this one, it's just me, Will Leach. While you're here, follow the People Still Read Books podcast at Still Read Books on Twitter. Email me, People Still Read Books at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion of a book you'd like to have somebody to talk, uh, me talk to the author for, if you wrote a book you'd like me to talk to you, whatever you think. Just email me, peoplestillbeatbooks at gmail.com. But this is the great Melissa Mayers. By the way, the election's over. Might not seem that way to some, but the election is, in fact, over. So it's going to be a rough ride till January 20th, but we're going to make it. Also, stay inside. It's very scary outside right now. Anyway, I'm delighted, both to Grierson Leach listeners and People Still Read Books listeners, to talk today with Melissa Mayers. The book is All Right, All Right, The Oral History of Richard Linklater's Days Confused. Here she is. Talk to you soon. I am delighted to talk with you, Melissa, about this book. I love it, and I love that you did it, and I love everything about it, and uh, and that I really could just do that for like the next half hour, but I feel like I should probably, <laughs> for the sake of professionalism, uh, ask you a few questions. Uh, one of the things I love about this book, it's obvious, it is oral history, but you know, in many ways, it's it seems it's more than that. And I think by level of like how kind of exhaustive it is and how much work you put it into it, it becomes a lot of other things too. I actually love the way that before each chapter, you have like I wouldn't call it like a mini essay. It's partly an intro, but it feels like there's a lot of good insights in there as well. But one of the things I find fascinating is how much Richard Linklater, who you should know, uh, me being 45 years old and uh, uh, and uh, and being a Gen X person, Richard Linklater is probably my, my favorite filmmaker. So this is like right my strikes in any. Anyway, this is not a guy that's always like opened himself up for deep psychological uh, breakdowns. The book, in a way, at times becomes almost, I wouldn't say a biography or a profile, but certainly an interesting character study of Linklater himself, not just at this time, but even as like a person in general. Yes, definitely. Um, and, you know, I think he is a, for me anyway, was a hard person um, to get close to in the beginning. Um, not because he's closed off at all, but um, 
I don't know. I think, you know, I, I started this book by sending him an email saying that I wanted to write it. And he responded with a really great email kind of being like, you know, kind of sick of talking about Dazed and Confused. I don't think it's my best movie. You know, you got the sense that he wasn't in for this. But then by the end of the email, he was kind of like, but did you read this thing about it? And have you watched this thing about it? And he was kind of pointing me toward research. So it started out kind of tenuous. And then the more I talked to him, the more he opened up. And by the end, I was talking to him a lot. So I felt like I, I got a really good sense of who he was, but it took, it took a little while. Days <laughs> <laughs> Confused is interesting because, you know, I always feel like the equivalent with him, uh, it's like the Coen Brothers, uh, Big Lebowski, which is to say it's probably the most popular movie, but I would, you wouldn't find a lot of Coen Brothers fans that would say, oh, Big Lebowski, like hardcore Coen Brothers people. Right. Who are like, oh, Big Lebowski is the one. But for, but to me, that is actually a reason, even though I also would not consider the Big Lebowski one of the best Coen Brothers movies, I also recognize that it is kind of the Coen Brothers movie because it's the one that everybody knows, it's that everyone talks about. For me, Days Confused, I think it's, I like that movie a lot more than, uh, more than the Big Lebowski, but it does feel, and you kind of get this from him in the book and kind of even what you're talking about there it does feel that like he's almost bewildered or even sometimes even put off a little bit by the success of the movie and the way people react to it particularly because as one of the great things about the movie and is that it, he's the movie is this weird mix of anti-nostalgia mm-hmm. and of course deeply nostalgic yeah. which i think is probably the sign of Something that's great, actually, uh, and and I'm curious, th- th- does he does he feel weird about that? That people talk about this time and like, oh man, it totally feels like that. Really captured that moment, even for people like me who were barely alive in that moment. Uh, it feels like it captures a moment in a way that people are nostalgic for, even if it's not something that he necessarily wanted that to have happen. Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, everybody I talked to for this book is so nostalgic for the summer they spent making this movie, except for Richard Linklater. Um, and I think <laughs> that's in large part because this was his first studio movie. You know, he had just made Slacker, which was his second feature film um, and first real breakthrough movie where he just basically did everything himself. It was just him and his friends kind of calling all the shots. So this was really his welcome to Hollywood movie for better or worse, you know, and I think he fought a lot with the executives at Universal on this movie. So I think that has colored the way that he sees the film, Um, that he just remembers it as being a really hard time getting the movie made that he wanted to get made. And that's why he's not as nostalgic about it as the cast is. You know, it's weird too, because, you know, obviously, I'm, I watched this movie when it came out, and uh, it was only years. It's one of those weird experiences where now you look back like, wow, Ben Affleck. Oh, <laughs> yeah. McConaughey is actually kind of his own different thing. But uh, Ben Affleck and Parker, Parker Posey, all these people that had these long careers for a long time. But like, I, it would, took me a very long time not to think of Ben Affleck as the shithead from Days of Confused. Like, it really <laughs> took a lot of practice to like get used to him not being that guy. McConaughey, again, he's, well, and we'll get to him. He's his own kind of creature in this movie but uh i find it interesting to like uh, and i also want to talk about everybody, everybody wants some uh yeah, in, in a moment yeah. but i feel like th- even watching that movie i've like now i'm like savvy to this stuff yes. and now i'm like okay watching everybody wants some who's gonna be the big star right who's gonna there's wyatt russell that guy's right. gonna be the next half like the guy move on but what's so fun about the way you kind of describe the experience of making this movie some of the actors had had careers or semi-careers none of them were big yet but this experience it's amazing whether how whether you end up ha- even having an acting career after this or whether you're bitter about the movie. It feels so formative and it feels like even if it hadn't become this massive thing and it wasn't even a big hit when in the theaters, it feels like it was a formative experience for them 
even reg- independent of the fact that it became this massive, massive thing that people still talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Ben Affleck's a great example because uh, it's so interesting to me when I talked to him about this movie, he said that he was very upset that everybody saw him as an asshole after this, that apparently Quentin Tarantino called Richard Linklater and was like, who is that guy in your movie? What an asshole. <laughs> and Affleck was like, I don't want Tarantino to think of me as an asshole. And I think he was reticent to take the role he did in Mallrats because he kept thinking he kept playing these asshole roles and people really saw him that way. And he told me that one of the reasons why he wanted to do Goodwill Hunting was because he wanted to show people like, you know, I can play something else. And I I think he said that people didn't necessarily realize that there was a nuanced performance to playing a jerk. (laughs) 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 But it really did, you know, for him and for McConaughey, I think people still see them as a version of that character, whether that's fair or not. With McConaughey, I have to admit, it seems fair. Oh, totally. (laughs) I agree. I'm curious if that was your experience. I've never interviewed Matthew McConaughey, but certainly... Uh, you know, you talk about when they had the reunion, uh, the 10-year reunion later, and how he was still kind of the party guy. From There's this wonderful quote, uh, I don't remember who it was from, from, from someone who worked in the film, who when they like saw him do his lines, they're like, oh boy, this guy's about to like take over the world. Even, yes, it yeah. wasn't even necessarily a big part at that point. McConaughey's obviously a Texas guy and so on. What were the, it feels now, like there are times where I think of like, you know, 10 Things I Forgot About You or whatever, whatever movies he was doing. Uh, those uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, big poofy hair contact yes, priest yes. movies. The rom-com era, yeah. Yes, and, uh, and but like, you know, I think, you know, it, when you watch this movie, even at the time, it really just felt something inherent about him. It felt almost like a gift. He was this gift that Linklater was like giving to the universe. But the actual casting of him, it wasn't really that obvious, was it? No. In fact, um, when you see the early drafts of the script and you see what that character is like on paper, he seems much darker. Um, And I think, you know, McConaughey came in and brought his McConaughey charm and kind of changed this character. He's still obviously super sleazy, um, but he made it less of a predator, I think, type of character. Um, And he just charmed everybody. I mean, a lot of people told me that same quote that you just said about thinking as soon as they heard him say his first line that they thought this guy's a star. Um, And I think also a big part of his success is this guy, Don Phillips, who's this great character in the book, uh, who was a casting director for Dazed and Confused and who discovered Matthew McConaughey and then really pushed to kind of get him some roles after the movie was over. I think that's a big part of why McConaughey is the McConaughey we know now. So Linklater in particular, you know, the thing that it's kind of a universal maxim, right? I guess of, uh, of of fiction is the idea that like the more specific you make something, the more universal it is. And I feel like that's so interesting. There's all these great quotes from people in the book being like, uh, who uh, I think uh, it's uh, Adam Goldberg. I think talks about how completely different his growing up experience was. Yeah, uh, like this was completely foreign to him in every way. And I think that's what's interesting is there are stuff that here that feels maybe not auto strictly autobiographical, but feels like, yep, that's an actual experience that he's had, that Linklater's had. And because of that, you, that reminds you of the experience that you've had. It reminds the experience. And so, and th- therefore the movie feels universal in the same way that, again, it takes place in the 70s. I have no idea what it was like in the 70s, but it really feels, this movie has always felt like my childhood, <laughs> even though you know, I, I wasn't around at all. And frankly, my childhood was spent, you know, getting wedgies and listening to Warrant. 
the idea that that uh, it was anything like it is not even close. But it's it feels that way, and I feel like it's because Linklater is so specific about stuff that it feels like it. Have, does it feels like does, to him? Does it seem like an autobiographical film? Yes. I mean, I think part of the fun of writing this book was that was going back to his friends from Huntsville, Texas, which is the small town where he went to high school. And all of those people are like, they can pick out very specific things that they remember from that movie about their real lives. I mean, for example, to get really specific, that scene when Pickford is trying to keep his parents out of his room because they're smoking weed and he takes that ice pick out of the door. You know, that's a real thing that one of Linklater's friends did. Uh, so it's incredibly specific. But, you know, one of my favorite quotes in the whole book is this guy, Jason David Scott, who was a publicist on the movie, said, um, that was totally my high school experience, that movie, except the music was different and we didn't have those cars and we didn't dress the same. And it kind of just went down. <laughs> and you're like, what's left? What about that then was your high school? But I think that really shows why this movie is so popular still, because it's not the details necessarily, even though there are details people relate to, it's the vibe. It's that he caught the feeling of what it feels like to be a teenager. Now, one thing about the nostalgia in this movie, too, is it feels nostalgic for a time, not just the 70s, but watching it now. I watched this. I, I didn't want, I watched this, I think, last year, and now I feel like I've watched it after reading your book again. But it feels also, it makes me nostalgic for the 90s, and it makes me nostalgic for a time where a movie like this could get made or a time or a studio would do this, and or even a time, I, you talk about this in the book, a time where rock music was actually as big of a deal as it was. I found myself, I was reading a, a Kurt Cobain uh, autobiography a biography a couple of years ago, and there's this whole thing about uh, when Vanity Fair and yes. uh, was doing all the stuff about him and Courtney, and it was just this big, massive scandal that was all over the tablo uh, tabloids. And I'm like, wow, can you imagine a scandal about a guy in an indie rock band making <laughs> the tabloids anymore? Like, who would yeah. care at all? Yeah. And, and, I, and I find myself thinking about watching this movie thinking, wow, this reminds me, it doesn't remind me of my childhood, but reminds, even when I watched it, it reminded me of my childhood, and watching it now reminds me of when I watched it, and when, even though this movie is a period piece, it really does feel kind of like about the 90s a little bit. Absolutely, yes. Well, and I think the way that people relate to it has changed, right? Because for you and I, watching it in the 90s didn't feel that different from the 70s, to the extent of like that opening shot of Sweet Emotion coming in, you're going in your car, it's like, we were literally driving around in our cars, still listening to Air because they were still a big fan. (laughs) And now you look at it and it's like rock isn't popular anymore. Weed is legal. A ton of kids (laughs) don't even have their driver's license because they just use Uber or like don't even care. You know, I mean, like so many essential things that were part of being a teenager then have changed. And I think the kids I talk to now who watch it almost look at it like a fantasy of like horse and buggy times where it's like, (laughs) you know, pre-social media, kind of pre a lot of the things that they're going through now. So, and what's interesting too is to think of the way it was, uh, you know, Linklater is interesting too, because I, this kind of, I want to talk about everybody wants some, which he's talked about being like a spiritual sequel to, uh, to, to this. I l- truly and deeply love that movie. I think that movie is wonderful, but it did not go over the same way as this. And I'm, and in a, to the point even where I think some people watched it were like, who cares about these dumb frat guys in college who all think they're just trying to get girls and so on. And it felt to me though, I think the movies, I think they're both 
both wonderful movies. I think Everybody Wants Some uh, is, I think, one of the more underrated Linklater movies. I just think it's it's nearly, it's it's. I think it's it's very much on a par with this movie. But just it, the, the culture had changed. The reaction to people like this to lead a movie has changed. I'm curious, like, do you think if, never minding, again, if we made this movie, if you made this movie now, it would still be about a time before now. It would still be about the 70s. It wouldn't be about this current per- moment. But I, it seems to me if you were to if you were to produce this movie and put it out now, not only do I think it would not get this reaction that it got to in the nineties, I feel like people might even find like parts problematic <laughs> and find things thing, things curious that way. Is, is is he aware of that? Is that something he think about? Is that something you think about when you uh when you when you talk about this movie? It's definitely something I think about. I don't know if he sees it that way, but you know what's interesting about Dazed is I think when you watch it, or at least when I watched it when I was younger, I remember being in the theater and being kind of mad when I heard people laugh at like the girls getting humiliated, the freshman girls getting humiliated, or McConaughey saying that thing about, you know, he gets older, they stay the same age about the high school girls. Um, But the more you watch it, you see Linklater kind of push back on those comments. Like after McConaughey says that, um, Sasha Jensen's character, Don, says, you're going to go to jail for that. Like you hear there's kind of like these little moments of pushback um, from the other characters. And what I like about that is that Dazed and Confused, it's about high school and it doesn't moralize to you. Like the quickest sense you get that there is an older person writing about high school kids and that there's like a baked in message to like how you should act in high school, you know? <laughs> and Linklater just refuses to do that. And a lot of the people in that movie who are the biggest bullies are also really pathetic. I mean, like Affleck, all his friends are making fun of him. He's flunked high school a bunch of times. Like, he's not a guy who looks cool. And I think that's part of the difference between Everybody Wants Some and Dazed is that there's a lot of really complicated feelings <laughs> about the people in Dazed mm-hmm. where Everybody Wants Some just seems like, to me, like Linklater really loved the time he spent playing baseball in college and his feelings about high school are a lot more complicated. Yeah. And I I think that's interesting too, because, you know, a a thing about Linklater, right? Like he's, like obviously he's this to, almost like a Gen X icon in a lot of ways, and very much of the. I did an interview with uh, I interviewed uh, Don Hertzfeld uh, for uh, for GQ and felt very much of cut from the same kind of cloth, right? The the idea that these these guys just kind of did things their own way. Obviously, Linklater does more studio stuff, but they generally have just kind of done their own thing and stayed in Austin and done done their whole kind of own deal in a way that. Like, I wonder if what would have happened to Richard Linklater if he were born 15 years later? Would he have to play ball a little bit more? Do you think that part of the reason, we talk about this movie not being able to be made now because, you know, it would just, Universal wouldn't do a little small indie project and they wouldn't promote something like that. And there's no superheroes yet, anyway, uh, uh, in this movie. But I'm curious about Linklater himself. One of the things that I feel like makes him such a Gen X guy is not just you know the Ethan Hawke and the Before Sunrise movies, but he, the idea that like to make something simply for making it and not caring. Like obviously you want to be able to make more things, but he is like perfectly happy to just go make his movies and make the ones exactly he wants to make and not be a social media person or not go in and do these things. Do you? I, I'm 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 curious. Do you, is there an analogum for him? Is there someone else like him? Do you think that's a product of his time? Like you've talked to him so much. I'm just curious what kind of your takeaways are about him a little bit. Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, he had this quote he gave to somebody else, not to me, where he said that he used to believe in some kind of fate, and now he believes in timing. And I think that is so true for the story of this movie. I mean, he literally brought Slacker to Sundance when they had just 
just changed the name of the festival to Sundance Film Festival. You know, it was just a couple <laughs> of years after Soderbergh went there with Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which was really kind of this big bang moment for indie film when it proved there was an actual market for indie film that it could be sold, um, you know, after premiering somewhere like Sundance. So he was there. He was the right guy in the right place at the right time. And, you know, he was making a movie with a studio with Universal um, at a time where Universal was paying about $6 million to make Dazed, but they were also making Jurassic Park. They were also making Schindler's List. Like they were just making these slate of movies, which they do not do anymore. And it was for a very limited amount of time that they even did this. So I think he really was, um, you know, it was kind of good timing that Dazed was made uh, when it was. And I think also his experience with Dazed taught him about what he didn't want to do in future movies, that he didn't want to have to deal with meddling producers and studio executives um, interfering too much on his movies. So he chose really wisely about who he was working with after that. And I think still made these movies that whether they were studio movies or not had a very independent vibe to them. It is kind of wild that like this is his studio hack film. Yes, right. Like this is like this is the one. It feels because there's nothing about this that feels other than the fact that they apparently had a very generous uh, music budget (laughs) to be able to buy Aerosmith songs and and so on. But it doesn't feel like nothing about this feels like a studio movie. I guess it looks good. It's cheap, like like Slacker did. But like it, it doesn't. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like a studio film. I'm, and you get into that uh, quite a bit in the book about his struggles of making it. By the end of making this movie, was he just ready to be done with it? Did he? Did did, did, did like was like is that part of his still reticence about this movie? Is just how difficult the experience of actually making it was? Yes, I think so. Definitely. Um, I mean, even now when you talk to him, you can hear him kind of start to get like ah about things he's still upset about <laughs> years later. You know, I mean, after Dazed and Confused, like I think the same week that Dazed and Confused came out, he published this um, kind of diatribe in the Austin Chronicle where he basically listed every time he felt upset about a choice that an executive had made or a producer had made throughout this this process, the week the movie came out. Um, <laughs> and you think, you know, I, in some ways I kind of admire that because you think yeah. somebody who's getting their first studio chance would be very careful. Like maybe you wouldn't play ball later, but you'd play ball around the release of your first studio film, but he just didn't care. You know, he just always wanted to make the film he wanted to make. And I have to say, despite all that fighting, it seems like he made the film he wanted to make from the very beginning. It still matches the description he gave um, when pitching it really early on. Yeah, It's hard to find moments where you're like, oh, well, clearly some studio suit cut in at that part and right. decided that they didn't like it. Bob Gers, did they like it once they got the thing that he delivered? Were they excited about it? Or were they like, yeah, we knew this jerk over here was going to give us something impossible to sell? I mean, according to Linklater, they, they didn't even, it, they weren't even thinking about it at that point. I mean, they had such <laughs> bigger movies to be worried about that they weren't even really right, right. paying attention. Um, you know, Tom Pollock, who's passed away, um, but he was the head of the studio um, at the time. I think he went to one screening. Um, so, I, you know, he had bigger <laughs> fish on his plate, I think. But now it's interesting because you see someone like Sean Daniel, who was a producer on that movie, who always really believed in it. And he really sees Dazed and Confused as like one of the bigger stars on his resume. So I think, it, you know, over time, Time, it's really become um, something that even people at Universal are proud of, even if they weren't necessarily at the time. 
What is your personal experience with this movie? What made you inspired to want to to want to do this book in the first place? Was it just uh, I know that you 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 I, I feel like someone that writes for Vulture. I always owe you a nod, just in general, <laughs> as someone that's a longtime Vulture writer. So obviously you have some. Uh, you, this, this is your feel, but what is it specifically about this movie or even Link later that inspired you want to do this project? This is a mass. I can't imagine how much time you put into this thing. What what inspired you to do that in the first place? Um, well, obviously I love the movie, and I knew it'd be a hinge point in everybody's life. You know, for Link later doing his first studio film and for all the cast making this film that was really a breakthrough film for a lot of them. But I think the thing that made me most interested at first was that I read an interview with Linklater saying exactly what you said before, Will, about him wanting to make an anti-nostalgia movie. And I thought, how did this anti-nostalgia movie become the most (laughs) nostalgic movie ever? You know, not just for high school, but for the 70s and for the 90s and um, not just for viewers, but also for the cast. So I think that was the original question um, I when it went. But I was also, even so, I was still so surprised by the level of nostalgia that so many people still have. I mean, a lot of people cried when I interviewed them. Um, it still holds a major place in a lot of people's hearts. It's like, you know, you interview somebody about the job that you first loved in your 20s. And I think people still feel like that about the film. Yeah, and you know, and of course, then too, like the characters in the movies, they're all kind of starting their career, right? Exactly. So they're all like they, 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 they first off, they probably think they're all going to be like this. Yeah, and two, they think this is gonna, this is gonna, when this movie comes out, and it's so good. And I know it wasn't a huge hit initially, but it becomes like this, this larger thing. They're probably like, "Wow, here I go." Here comes stardom. Here it happens, and so now, in the, as opposed to like, oh, I think I think it's I think it's Adam Goldberg has a great thing in this movie about how like now to do a movie, I have to be like, okay, when I, the kids are going to be over here, yeah, if I'm, I, where, can I be in Toronto for uh, for two weeks? And it does feel like obviously not 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 most of these guys weren't in high school, but it uh, it definitely feels like a movie where even the actors themselves feel like on the vibe of. I, we're kind of getting away with this and like we're just free and clear doing it. Did you did you get that kind of vibe talking to them too? Absolutely, yes. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, they put so much into this movie. Some of them were improvising scenes. Some of them were even writing their own scenes. Um, and it's funny, when you talk to them, they still talk about it as if their roles were these method acting roles, which is kind of funny <laughs> in some ways because like you're a 17-year-old playing a 17-year-old. But I think that really speaks to the time too because, you know, I talked to Jason Lee who, was uh, the actor Jason Lee who was the boyfriend of one of the cast members in the movie at the time and was kind of hanging out on set and he was like this was a time when you could spend all day thinking what is the motivation for this high school kid and he's like you just don't really do that anymore so I think a lot of them look back at it as a thing that they just really put their everything into creatively yeah imagine like your first movie or your second movie being a Linklater movie and then you're like off to do CSI you know, CSI Dallas or something uh, like it feel, I just, I can definitely imagine being spoiled. Uh, I'm curious. Is this your, I know you love this movie. Is this your favorite Linklater movie? Oh, dangerous. I mean, yeah, I I think it's impossible for me to look at other Linklater movies the way that I look at this one because I just know so much background behind it. I think it's impossible for me to love anything as much as I love this. But I mean, obviously I love, you know, the before movies are amazing and also hold a really special place in my heart. 
Yeah, we're a couple years away. If they, they, I know they've said they're not going to do another one, but they said that last time. Right. And they still <laughs> made one. So, so I, I am hopeful that, that Julie Delphi and Ethan Hawke and Richard Linklater are all secretly out there preparing uh, the next one. Because I wasn't sure they wa- I wanted them to do the last one. And yeah. I was like, oh, yep, okay, these people know what they're doing. I should not question. There is no. It, it's perfectly fine for them to keep going. Um, this is a question I asked for, uh, to everyone on the show. I don't know if you've gotten this yet because the book is just coming out now. Yeah. Have you? This is your first book. Yes. Uh, have you gotten uh the box yet like what how did it feel have you gotten the box of all the copies of it yeah been able to open it yet how, how did it feel what, what what was your experience what was your what was your unpacking your opening party well you know what's funny about this i've interviewed so many people for this book now they don't give you obviously an unlimited number of books <laughs> right. when you're the author <laughs> so i have a small number of books and now they are almost all gone because i've get, sent one to every cast member who's asked me um and now i have to start telling people like i only have a couple of copies for myself so it's been <laughs> kind of sorry happy. affleck you, you gotta, gotta buy, buy one. one. Oh yeah well affleck has one yeah <laughs> okay. i think he was the, the first one to ask for one but um <laughs> but you know i feel like i i've got to send these out to people because people really care about this i mean especially you know all of these people in huntsville texas who grew up with richard linklater are super excited to read about their classmates talking about this era in the seventies when they all went to high school together. So I think people are invested for all sorts of reasons um, in this book. Has Linklater read it yet? Yes. Yeah. So there was, there was a very tense period of time when I was waiting for it, when it was done and I was (laughs) waiting to hear what he thought of it. And it was maybe like five days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of me not being able to sleep, but um, he loves it. I mean, he sent me a really great email that was very supportive. I mean, I think it's tough in some ways because you're you're having your past dissected and he's not somebody who necessarily <laughs> likes to do that regularly. But I also think- and Unless he does it. it right? Yeah, exactly. Unless he does it. But I also think, you know, almost everybody in this book remembers that time so fondly um, that I can't imagine that it's a painful process for him to read the book. Okay. So I, my last question is, uh, is generally about th- this feels- like you see oral histories all the time now, and then there's it's become like a like it's well I'm I'm fairly certain we're going to have an oral history of Steve Kornacki's three days on the uh, on the on the desk uh, <laughs> here pretty soon. Uh, but like this is the thing I love about this book is it is oral history. There are times it takes a structure of an oral history, but it really is like so kind of much other stuff, much stuff going on. But it is also worth noting this is like man right in my strike zone, <laughs> like and it feels like I feel like it like everyone I know between like like ten years older than me and ten years younger than me i'm like this is like a book i will absolutely show to them but i'm curious that like this does feel and you talked about this when you talked about how it's almost like period dress for anyone that, that are watching it now it's it's age of innocence or something like an entirely different time do you, i i find myself nostalgic for uh even that uh, i find myself already nostalgic for a time where someone would write this good and this extensive a book about a gen x thing Oh, I love to hear you say that. We lost, right? Like we lost. (laughs) We lost. Nobody Nobody cares about us. Uh, And so I find myself uh, appreciating this kind of documentation of this thing that I have to tell you, I have always thought would be something people would be talking about this the way that 
they talked about you know five easy pieces or easy yeah. like, like movies movies that like were just definitive chronicles of a certain kind of time uh, that lived on forever and then our generation just got skipped totally <laughs> they just yes. don't care at all about us and so I, I I find myself like just even going back to this time did you find yourself nostalgic for the idea that like there like oh there was a time where the nineties were we were the future and this was all going to happen and now now we're now we're just the people uh, uh, the people that are a little bit older than Pete. Buttigieg, but a little bit younger than Kamala Harris. <laughs> I love that description. Well, you know, I am a very anti-nostalgic person by nature, but I think you are exactly right on for what so many people feel right now. Like there's a great quote from the journalist Brian Raftery, who's quoted a lot in this book. And he was saying, you know, we, we grew up, Gen Xers grew up being told by baby boomers, like you will never have lives as wonderful as we had. Like we had the sixties, man. We had the greatest music. We had the greatest drugs. Like we we're just kind of getting sick of being told that all the time. And now it's like, it's finally our time. Like we want to be able to talk about ourselves. Like we are the generation that spent forever <laughs> waiting for permission to talk about ourselves. Um, and I do think that's really true. I think this is just kind of starting to happen now that people are treating this era like something that has historical significance. <laughs> it feels like by the time by the time anyone was paying attention to us, we were classic rock. Exactly. <laughs> it's, a nice, it's a nice touch, isn't it? Uh, the book is All Right, All Right, All Right, an oral history of Richard Linklater's Days of Confused. Melissa, I love this book. Uh, I'm I really hope uh, I can't wait to. Uh, I'm, I'm cl- we're actually cross posting this to the Greer's and Leach podcast oh, that we do as well because I, I want them to know about it as well because it's a it's a great book about a great movie and you did a great job. So thanks for thanks for coming on with me and, and seriously good good luck with it. Uh, I, I'm sure it's going to do great. Will, thank you. This has been my dream to talk to you. I feel like I can feel your passion for the movie coming through the airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a okay. Now you need to now you need to work on the before tr- trilogy. Yes. Oral history, but <laughs> don't, don't do don't start working on it until we know if they're doing another one. Okay, if you know, got it. If you know if they're doing another one, then we can do it. I'll but, hold uh, on. Yeah, I, I, I I hate to be your assigning editor, but please get on that story. That would be a, I'd be very much appreciated. Got it. Um, all right, Melissa, thank you very much. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Oral history, Richard Linklater's Days of Confusion. Melissa Maris, thank you for talking to me. Thank you, Will. Bye, everybody. Bye.